0: Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome in on a game day. Your Utah Jazz are back at it. The Jazz. Tonight, it's the Nets in Brooklyn. What to make of this? I mean, the Nets have been terrible for a long, long time. But they got Durant. They got Kyrie Irving. Uh, Irving, uh, mercurial talent. How's that? I think that's the nicest way to put it. Uh, Durant, you know, I haven't watched entire Nets games, watched highlights. I've still been in full football mode and I watch way more when I am in NBA mode. I watch way more the West than I do the East. Um, so I want to, I want to put that out there up front, but what I've seen, I think Durant's moving pretty well. You know, the Achilles has been, I guess with back injuries, um, you know, knee injuries. they've gotten really good with the knee and getting you back. It takes a while, but they can get you back. Um, but the Achilles and the back injuries, those can still be career ending pretty easily. Um, as recently as you know memo occur a decade ago, but I think now we're starting to see a few more guys coming back from the Achilles and Durant looks good. Now he'll always be tall and always shoot over people. But I think if you would just watch him move and try to beat people off the dribble, he, he looks like Kevin Durant passes the eyeball test. So, now the question is getting that team, you know, to play together. And it's a it's a short training camp of preseason for teams that are making a lot of changes. And I think the Nets are feeling that a little bit. They started 2-0, and they've now lost for the last five games. Uh, what kind of game will the Jazz get out of them tonight? Your guess is as good as mine. Feels like the Jazz ought to win this. Feels like they're in a good place, had some bumps early. I don't know if they got fat and happy after the win over Portland. I don't know if something happened behind the scenes. I don't know if uh, coming home kind of messed them up in a way. I don't, I don't know. I can't, I can't explain how bad they looked against Minnesota and how much they struggled at Oklahoma City, although they were ultimately able to win that game maybe they started to figure some stuff out against the Suns at the end of the game. Uh, They've looked good since then. You know, the fourth quarter of the Suns game, they showed some life. But uh, Quinn Snyder, after the win on Sunday, said the best thing about the Spurs game, and you didn't want to get too high or too low on any one game. You know, you want to see a bigger body of work and consistency and all that stuff that you would expect a coach to say, which... Quite frankly, you'd expect a fan to say too. You, the fans would want all these things, uh, but he did say that they were they were engaged and present for four quarters. Right? They didn't check out for part of the game and figure, oh, that's good enough. Uh, and if they give that kind of effort against the Nets, I think they got a good chance of winning this game. You know, that it's a seven game road trip. You're probably going to lose a couple along the way. Uh, on paper, the Nets and the Bucks are the best team. The Bucks are also not off to a great start. Uh, Cleveland on paper is a bad team, but they're off to a good start. You know, they got a winning record out of the gate. So, you know, we'll have to see how this shakes out, but it feels like a good opportunity for the Jazz to win tonight. They're playing at a high level. Um, you know, the cool thing is they're 4-2 right now, and Donovan Mitchell, in his own words, is shooting the ball like, well, I can't say it. I can't go in his own words, but he, he, dropped, a, he dropped a well-placed expletive. And, you know, is pretty accurate. You're probably not supposed to be lobbing it out on the radio and TV, so we'll skip it, but he's... Shooting it like poop. How's that? 30% he's shooting from the three-point line. And 35% from the floor. And Bogdanovich, even with that big game, is shooting 30% from three and from the floor. Those are supposed to be the Jazz two leading scores. Those are supposed to be the two guys averaging 20 points a game. And I think when it's all said and done, they'll be back at the end of the year to where they're supposed to be. So the fact that Jazz have come out and won four or six, while these guys are shooting the ball inefficiently, poorly... It's a good sign. If you're still a winning team when your two best players are off, uh, in the NBA, the two best players are going to ultimately be who they're supposed to be, whether it's these two players or two guys in Phoenix or in Dallas or in L.A. or whatever. So, good sign for the Jazz. they they got to get on track. And, you know, for Mitchell, this is going home. Weird, because he can't see everyone he would normally see. Um, But nonetheless, he's back in New York, and maybe there's a vibe, and we'll see if this gets him on track, because he's got too much talent, and it ought to happen. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk football. Jason Cole, veteran NFL reporter on the playoff scenarios down the stretch, how things have uh, played out here, and what he expects in the postseason. Jason Cole next. Stay with us.
1: Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Time to bring
0: in Jason Cole, veteran NFL reporter. Jason, good morning. Thanks for joining us again. No problem. What's going on, guys? Oh, well, there's a gazillion NFL storylines. But I'm curious um, if uh, for, you know, the expanded format and and more teams and all of that, uh, at the end, is it going to be a bunch of quarterbacks who've already won Super Bowls battling to win one more Super Bowl? Or could someone new break through? And, of course, when I say that, all eyes turn to Buffalo.
2: Uh. Look, I think Buffalo has a chance, but their chance is determined by are the Chiefs gonna are, are the Chiefs gonna be bored and let down and allow somebody else to get into this, if that makes sense. I think that like, the Chiefs are so much better than everybody else in the field when they play hard. They haven't had to play hard except for, you know, like twenty minutes at a time. You know, they'll go into a game and they'll be behind by 10 points. And then all of a sudden for 20 minutes, they'll score four touchdowns. And all of a sudden it's 28 to 10, and they're cruising. Um, so they sort of waste the first 15 or 20 minutes of the game, play really hard for 20 minutes, and then they cruise through the last 20 minutes of the game. I've seen them do that time and again. The only game where I thought they played really hard for 45, 50 minutes was the Baltimore game early in the season. And they really took it to them. And then ever since then, it's sort of like, okay, we can just cruise through games because this is a team that in the playoffs last year, they overcame three straight games in which they were down by double digits, right? So they've they've cleared these big hurdles. And then they came back and they got Baltimore, who they didn't face last year in the playoffs, and they torched them. So it's like, okay, none of you are a And that's why you get games like the game against Atlanta last week, which they're just muddling through. And it's like, okay, turn it on, score a touchdown, put the game away, we're good. And that's, that's the kind of thing where Buffalo can catch them by surprise. But to get back to your original point, look, I've always rated playoff teams by tell me who the quarterback is. You know, <laughs> if that team has a great quarterback, put them at the top of the list of the teams most likely to win. That's how it usually works in this league.
3: What's your reaction simply to the fact that the NFL managed to have a 17-week season with the pandemic?
2: Uh, it's an extraordinary thing. I think they they they. Made an abnormal situation look as normal as possible, and yeah, there, there are some hiccups along the line. Yeah, you know, there are games you had to move around, and yeah, but like this is this is a you know this is a situation that nobody else has ever you know for for seen. I mean, yeah, the league has dealt with some disasters, you know, nine eleven or you know Kennedy, you know Kennedy being shot and killed, and. Yeah, you know, they've had they've had some moments where a season has been interrupted for a week or you know a hurricane has changed where a team plays things like that but this was had to be managed so completely and so um, constantly you know to prevent outbreaks from becoming worse than they were um, and to prevent things that happen in baseball. And I'm not trying to rip baseball, because baseball was the, sort of the first one in the barrel. And, you know, we nobody knew how this was going to play out. Um, to me, you know, the, the NFL did a fabulous job of managing their way through a very, very difficult situation with teams, you know, where you have, you know, 80 to 100 people involved with that team, players and coaches. Where this could have really gotten out of control a number of times.
0: So, if you have a lot of money and you're motivated uh-huh. by the fact that there's a lot of money at stake, then you really can move mountains.
2: Oh, absolutely! <laughs> money, money makes the world go round, as the, as the saying goes. But yeah, there was a, there mutual. People have mutual motivation to make sure the season is pulled off. The players and the the players and men and the owners, they wanted to get this thing done. The, the coaches, too. And and they realized how much was at stake. And I think they learned from what the other two sports had gone through before them. They were fortunate to get, be the third one in. If this had been a pandemic that had hit, like, in a June or July setting, and, you know, that, that would have put the... That would have put the NFL in a much bigger bind in terms of how they reacted to this. They were the fortunate ones that learned from baseball and from basketball.
3: So with Jordan Love and played Utah State, obviously we follow him. We know about the draft situation, uh, going to Green Bay, and we heard, oh, man, Aaron Rodgers, they should have given him more weapons, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's towards the end of his career, yada, yada, all that stuff. And then he responds with just really, uh, I can almost say, a one-of-a-kind season, particularly for him at this advanced age. He was just simply sensational. What explanation do you have for it?
2: that he there, there's a um, I think for Rodgers he realized look this is a challenge but it was a challenge from a coach who he A trusted and B in his own way look Matt LaFleur is the coach of the Packers because of Aaron Rodgers because Rodgers got tired of McCarthy so if this didn't work out if there was a war here Rodgers was going to be the one who was gonna take most of the blame. So I think Rogers at a certain point had to had to realize, look, I gotta make the best of the situation. I can't I can't do what Brett Favre did and and sort of and and be obstinate about you know the fact that a quarterback was drafted, you know, while in the first round while I'm still here. I have to just deal with it. I have to be a better teammate and I have to be better with the team myself. And I think that I think he learned from his own past and I think that he learned from his own responsibility in this situation and said, I'm gonna do everything I can to make the best of it. Now, I think ultimately this I don't believe that the Packers are so overwhelmingly talented that they can get through a playoff situation with the with the weapons that they have I have doubts about it but they have put themselves in the best possible position to do it you know by having a home field advantage such as it is you know without fans but certainly with the cold weather they have they have a you know some some level of advantage I don't think it's going to be as important against Tom Brady who played his entire career in cold weather but it will work against most of the other players from the team like Tampa.
0: So the bigger threat to the Packers then and to uh, the awesome stats Rodgers has put up, the 48 touchdowns and the only five interceptions, which seems crazy, the biggest threat to them and what they put together this year is that the Saints or has Breeze dropped off off enough and maybe not healthy enough that you really look at the Seahawks, even though they haven't seemed to put together the great offense they had early in the year and the really good defense they've had here at the end of the year, they haven't put it all together at the same time very often.
2: No, but the, Seattle probably has. Uh, they have a significantly better defense over the last six games than they did the first half. So they're they're on a, they're probably an average to slightly above average defense when they were, you know, after being the worst defense in the league for the first what nine ten games of the season. So they've gotten to the point where they can. Uh, make life at least reasonably difficult for, for most of the other teams in the NFC. I don't think they're good enough to make it difficult for the Chiefs if the Chiefs get there, right? But certainly for everybody else in the NFC. I, I think that the team that I look at and says can give the Packers the most problem is Tampa Bay. I I really do think the Buccaneers, like I, I see with Brady, the progression of being on the same page with Mike Evans now being on the same page with Godwin. And all of a sudden Antonio Brown has started to get his timing back where the first couple of weeks, Antonio Brown looked out of sorts and, you know, looked like a guy who hadn't played in over a year. Right. Um, Now all of a sudden he looks like a guy who's comfortable and back to playing and sitting there and going, okay, I remember how to do this. And he's moving at a speed closer to what we remember. So those three weapons, and then you throw in Gronkowski and Braid is is a workable guy, and Ronald Jones. The thing that they miss to me is they don't have a good pass-catching running back out of the backfield, but I think they've covered it enough with the three receivers that they have. And that that combination with a couple of decent tight ends. So I like what they're doing offensively, and I think they're just good enough. Um, they're just good enough defensively. They're sort of similar to Seattle, maybe just slightly better than Seattle defensively. So I would give them the nod. You know, New Orleans has got the best defense out of this entire group, but they're a dome team with a. Quarterback who's just his arm is just not there, and his body is beat up. I love Drew Brees, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, and like all we have to do is say his name, and he's going to get into the Hall of Fame kind of thing. But boy, his you know if if you're expecting him to throw that way in a cold weather game, I just don't see it. Like I, I don't see him being able to make a big play in 30-degree weather with the arm the way way that it is right now.
3: So as far as the Steelers, you know, we don't count the last game because the starters and all weren't playing. But what do you Uh make of their little late-season slump as far as them with their perspective and prospects going into the postseason?
2: Well, I remember Denver, at the end of Elway's career, when Denver won their first of back-to-back titles, if you remember that they went through a similar kind of slump where they I think they lost two or three games in a row which is recounted in the biography I just published of John Elway um you know in September you know they lost a couple of critical games including a game at San Francisco where they, they lost their cool in that game and they had to go on the road um to win you know three critical games Um you know, a game at Pittsburgh, the game at Kansas City. Um, and then, you know, and then finally win that Super Bowl against Green Bay. So I think that this can serve for a veteran team with a veteran quarterback as sort of a wake-up call. My bigger problem, though, with the Steelers, is like they just, their personnel is banged up. You know, like they're just missing certain guys that are critical. You know, they're on their third you know, inside linebacker who's calling plays. You know, they've got, you know, Dupree is hurt. Um they just, you know, they're ravaged in what was their strength. And and defense, particularly that kind of defense, plays better in the postseason because the game becomes more physical when you get into the postseason. And I expected that defense to be much more effective than it was in the regular season. The one caveat to this or the one counter to that is I think that Roethlisberger finally had that game that you get when you're starting to feel confident in your body again and starting to feel like, okay, I'm back to normal. I don't have to worry about getting hit. I don't have to worry about making certain throws. I'm just going to be myself again. And that takes a while for guys when they go through a year, year off. Um, I remember Carson Palmer, you know, when he came back from a knee injury. Now, knee injury is very different from an elbow injury. But even with an elbow, you're not feeling confident about your arm. I think he finally turned it loose in that, you know, that last game that he played. And it was like, okay, that's the Roethlisberger I remember. And if that happens, if they get enough of out of Roethlisberger and enough out of their defense, then they've got – probably the third best shot in the AFC. They, still, they, can, they can sneak up on Buffalo and make this a little bit more interesting. The one difference is Buffalo's, Buffalo's really hot and the Chiefs are obviously the most talented team.
0: So Alex Smith played at the University of Utah. People still follow him. He is 5 and 1 as a starter. They are 2 and 8 when he doesn't start. He's gotten Washington in the playoffs. Is there any chance that that Washington defense, which seems to be pretty good when the quarterback's not turning the ball over and putting them in terrible positions, that they could get pressure on Brady because his numbers drop dramatically when he's under pressure and at Washington could shock the world, a 7 and 9 team winning a playoff game. The way the Seahawks we're seven to nine and beat the Saints when they were the defending champs. Yeah, uh,
2: you know, it's it's altogether possible. I just don't see that they can score enough points. I, I I just I think that even if you put pressure on Brady a couple of times, don't you get the feeling that they're still going to manage to score twenty four to twenty eight points at a minimum?
0: Yeah, and, and twenty four yeah. to
2: right, and, and and Washington's really challenged to get much past twenty to twenty three. So, like, I just uh, I don't see that that Washington has enough now crazy things can happen, and so I would say, if those teams were to play seven times, can I imagine Washington winning one or two of those of those seven? Yes, and can I you know, but two's pushing it. I just think that Tampa is that much better than them right now. It's not impossible. It can happen. But I just don't know that – I don't know that Washington can score enough points combined with they can, they can create enough turnovers that will keep Tampa to under 24 points. That's, that's where I see a problem in this game for Washington.
3: You think Brady and Breeze are done, or you think they'll come back?
2: Oh Brady, will, I think Brady will come back. I think Breeze is going to be on the TV booth next year. Um, I think that's that's just how they were setting it up, and that's you know it's good. I mean, I, he, he's had a fabulous career. Um, he has played until basically you know the the wheels are have almost completely come off. Um, but you know, you watch and, like a thirty-five yard throw downfield it's tough for him to make right now making a tight throw in tight windows is tough. So I, I think that they've made a decision. I think collectively they've made a decision that, look, this is going to be the last year drew you. This is what you're, you want. You know, we got Taysom Hill. we got Jameis Winston. Um, we'll figure it out for next year. Um, but you know, it's, it's 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 time at this point at, at this point in your career that you need to move on. And I think that Breeze is accepting of that. That's why he was ready to go. He was probably ready to go do TV last this season. You know, last off season, but he decided to stick it out for another year.
0: Jason, we appreciate the time and uh, all your opinions. Thanks for coming on.
2: No problem, guys. Enjoy the uh, weekend. It should be uh, it should be a fun one. There's Jason Cole,
0: veteran NFL reporter. When we come back, our basketball insider Steve Cleveland on the Jazz, the NCAA tournament in a bubble, and uh, Dave Rose, uh, all those things to cover with Steve Cleveland next. Stay with us.
1: From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280
0: The Zone. And it's time to check in with Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, And our purveyor of all sorts of Fresno knowledge, and I got a Fresno question for you coming up later, Steve. So brace yourself for that, okay? All right, Fresno football question, but you know you're in charge of Fresno for us. You handle our Fresno bureau, so we're just going to we're going to lean on you for that. Uh, But let's start with the basketball, and uh, the news is breaking that the college basketball tournament is going to all of March Madness is going to Indianapolis to one site. Well, uh, to several sites, but largely in one city. Maybe down at Bloomington, I guess, the University of of Indiana. Just watching the way things have gone in college basketball this year. What kind of a season are we going to have leading up to this? What confidence do you have that they're going to get most of the games in and it's going to look somewhat like a normal season?
4: Well, I don't think it's going to look like a normal season. Um, I think that just, just watching and seeing the, all of the COVID protocols and see how, you know, and I, I look right now, you're, you know, you're talking about Fresno, and so I'm looking at the Mountain West and and all the cancellations of games. And, and you know, not every school has the resources to do this as well as others. I, I know here in Fresno, uh, they didn't even come in during the summer. They didn't even start the protocols because financially they didn't have the ability to do it, and the state – just wouldn't allow them whereas you know i I know other institutions have put the protocols together so everything's not equal and you're you know you're seeing more of canceled 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 or postponed uh i think the only way they can do this is to do it in a bubble um and you know what i think it'll be exciting it'll it'll still obviously have our interest but there, there's no way that they're going to make up all of these games. There's, there's not going to be time. And how they're going to figure that out, I think, is going to be the, the biggest question. Because how do you make up four, or five, or six conference games? So now you go on basically, what if you only play 50% of your conference games and you had a good preseason? Does that put you in a position to be into the tournament? I think those are going to be the really hard questions, just as we just saw in football. Where Ohio State gets there, they get bat-mouthed for a couple of weeks. It's not right. People aren't voting for them. And the next thing you know, they're in, the, they're in the championship game. So there will be challenges in terms of determining who those teams are going to be. And I'm sure they'll get it right for the most part. But the idea of conference play not having the magnitude that it normally has during the course of the year is an unfortunate thing. But it's just the world we're living in this year. So they can do it in a bubble, That that's fantastic. <laughs>
3: Could you take a minute to give us your thoughts on Dave Rose?
4: Well, <laughs> I don't know if I'm prepared to do that here on public radio, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, Dave's been on my mind a lot. You know, we, uh, we've had a history together. I, I will tell you a, a real experience with Dave that kind of gives you an indication of, of the love that I have for him. You know, when I, when I got the job, at BYU, I knew Dave. I would only met Dave one time. We played in his tournament at Dixie. I had a really, really good team at Fresno City. We never ended up playing each other, but we got to know each other for the first time. And I think it was October uh, of 1996, and in, you know, in April of '97, we'd be uh, coaching together at BYU. But I, I'll never forget. I flew back to see Dave. Uh, I'd call him, and after I got the job, and. You know, I think John Wardenbrook had been a good friend of mine, and I think he at that time was his assistant. He thought I was calling to talk about John because I didn't really know Dave. And uh, when I got Dave on the phone, I was back at Hutchison, and, and I said, hey, listen, I'm flying into Salt Lake. I was still trying to put my staff together. I had Heath. I knew that was going to happen, and I knew I was going to bring Brian to be the ops guy. But as it turns out, I just said, Let, meet, meet me at, uh, at a restaurant there in Salt Lake. And we went, and anyway, long story short, we had a chance to spend about two hours together and get to know each other. And at that time, I just got a really strong impression that he, you know, I'd love to have him work on my staff, even though I didn't know him at all. And the idea that five junior college coaches, well, four junior college coaches and a guy that had never been in coaching uh, would, would make up our staff, uh, looking back is kind of crazy. But uh, Dave and I, so Dave, I said, Dave, when are you going to be coming through Pro So he said, my daughter... Chanel is playing in a basketball tournament, high school tournament. And so what ends up happening? He said, let's come down, meet me in my office tomorrow after the game. And we'll talk about it with, with, you know, your, with your wife and with Chanel who was with them. And so they come down, walk into the office and uh, we sit there and I'm introducing myself because I don't know them at all. And leading up to us. And all of a sudden I start talking about putting my staff together. And all of a sudden Cheryl and Chanel kind of have crocodile tears going down their cheeks. And and it wasn't for happiness. Uh, It was one of these things where they were entrenched in St. George. That was home. That was everything they ever wanted. But I I turned and eventually I looked at Dave and I'm thinking, I said, Dave, have you have you not talked to Cheryl or your family about the fact that I offered you a job? And he just kind of looked at me with this little cheesy grin and he just shook his head. No. Uh, dude, come on. <laughs> this is a pretty major thing. You know, the two women are crying in my office and Dave's just sheepishly sitting there listening to me talk. He kind of set me up pretty good there. And so we worked through it, spent an hour or two together and it, it all worked out. But it was hard. It was a hard move for them and a hard move for kids who are in high school. But Dave. Dave, you know, thinking back about my relationship with Dave and, you know, he, he obviously, he's a great competitor and a great mind and, and all the basketball things, but, uh, he, he had a big heart and he, he was, he was a guy, sometimes a man of, of a few words at that time, you know, I mean, obviously we know what he did and all the success that he's had at BYU, but there's a personal side to Dave that, uh, I've always really appreciated. And, uh, he, he, he had the ability to connect with people like I felt like I did. And I wanted to get a staff of people that could connect with kids. And I felt like we did that. And I think that was one of Dave's greatest assets. I mean, obviously he has a good basketball mind, but his, I think, and I, and I consider one of my strengths, I consider the strengths of that staff is that we were able to connect with people. And I said, and so I look back on that experience and, and, and you know, he, he, he didn't connect real well with his own family at the time. But it was just heartwarming to me to see that family at that moment and then think back to what's happened. So when I found out about this, uh, Kim LaColme had called me. Uh, It it was hard and and difficult. And I know he's had some really good days the last couple days, and he's making progress. He's a fighter. And, I mean, my goodness, you're dealing with – cancer, you're dealing with a heart attack, you're dealing with a stroke, and those are difficult, tough things, but uh, we all believe in Dave, Uh, he is a good friend, very loyal to me, and uh, I will forever be grateful for our friendship, and it's not like we talk every week, it's not, not that way, but we've had memories together that you could only have in this business, and good ones and bad ones difficult times and some really great times, but uh, I love Dave, I love his family, and uh, God bless him, and hopefully uh, things continue to go down the road they are now, where there are some positive things are happening, there's, there's no guarantee, but uh, we, he, he has a special place in my heart.
0: You know, uh, <clears throat> listen to that story, and I didn't know that story, it made me, first off, I can totally see that sheepish grin you're talking about. <laughs> I can I can absolutely see that look on his face. I think we've all seen that more than once. Uh, but for all the basketball we've talked with you, can you talk a little bit about what coaches' wives go through and the coaches' wives tend to, not completely, but largely fall into two groups. You're awesome or you're out.
4: Yeah, you know, uh for, 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 I think for both of us, I mean, Cheryl, uh, you know, and I look at Cheryl and Dave and, and Cheryl was really engaged and, and uh, they were married when Dave was at Houston and, and uh, you know, they're just connected. And, and Cheryl was, you know, she was a big fan. You know, I, I look at my wife, Kip, who kind of st- – stayed back a little bit and didn't want all the, all the public fanfare and so forth. Those, you know, coaches' wives live and die with, uh, you know, every each and every game when you come home. And I tried to be really good, and I think Dave did this as well, uh, uh, but to, to to not bring those burdens home. But, you know, it, it, there are special women that uh, th- this business is hard on marriages. I've had some really good friends whose families were – Broken up through this business and the craziness of it, and just the pressure and the stress and all the things that come with coaching at the collegiate level or at the professional level. And I think you know Cheryl has. I, 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 I mean Cheryl was so involved. We got involved very early on. She and I did uh, with with this you know this cancer uh, group that we brought young kids together. And and I you know I always remember Cheryl. You know and, and Kip would Kip would talk about. How much she respected Cheryl and how involved Cheryl was and both of the you know both of these women were raising their children at home by dealing with husbands who had mood swings that were high and low and dealing with the public those are never easy things um, And I, and I think both our wives did it in very perfect ways for them and who they were but but certainly Cheryl as I think back on Cheryl and her experience and how loyal she is and what a great wife she has been to dave and a great family that they have obviously our our kids my son skyler just moved back to provo with his his four kids and they're very close with you know that with dave and his kids and and so it's been nice to see that to see my family but to see dave and cheryl kind of take care of my children who are now back up in provo with my son skyler and so there's always been a connection but wives Wives are so important because they just that support is so needed, especially during the difficult times. Everything's fine when we're winning, but when those things aren't going right or we're having player issues, uh, those moments with my wife and I know Dave with Cheryl were incredible. But Cheryl, Cheryl, Dave's got a wonderful wife and Cheryl, and uh, she she's a fighter just like Dave. She's competitive, and uh, they'll fight this thing, and, and you know. God willing, uh, he'll make the recovery he needs to make. But whatever happens, uh, I know there's a lot of friends and a lot of family praying for Dave, and we will continue to do that as intently as he's fighting it.
3: So turning to the Jazz, you know, they've only played six games, but it's been a little bit of a crazy go here about a couple games where they've looked awful, and then a couple of games, man, they've looked like they bring on the Lakers, bring on the Celtics of the uh, 80s, whoever it might be. As a coach, what do you do to try to find that consistency level that they're going to need over the course of the next 70-some games?
4: You know, I, I think one of the things that impacts this a lot is the fact that they're playing in front of MP arenas. And you have to be I I think one of the big things that coaches in that in, in the NBA need to do is is preparing their guys for the fact that there aren't fans. There isn't a home court advantage really. I mean, honestly You know, playing on the road, playing at home, you see teams, and there's been so many surprises in the first six or seven games here. I mean, if we were to look at the playoffs, we'll talk about that in a second, but I mean, it'd be a different-looking group than you would think. But the the total lack of a home court advantage means that you've got to have mature guys. And it'll be – you know, I think this is going to be difficult for for young guys in two ways. One, it'll be difficult because in in, in the sense that they – when they play at home, usually young players, at, when they're at home, they, they get that energy, they have more confidence, they go on the road. The benefit for the young players is that there are no fans there. And so there, there is an equality there that maybe that, that wouldn't normally be there. So when you see teams kind of go through these highs and lows, I can't even imagine coaching in that situation where it just feels like a scrimmage in practice. And uh, so as I look at the Jazz, and obviously they've got some maturity there, they've been there it's It's obvious that when Bogdanovich and Conley and Mitchell and Clarkson are clicking and they're scoring sixty, seventy, or eighty points, they're games that they're going to always be in a position to win and i and I think that they're doing the right I look at the the games they played I mean I think the last time we talked they'd only played two games, and now they're four and two with a good win over the clippers obviously uh, and, uh, and and the Suns were way better than they were, so losing to them is not a bad thing but i I like the way that I've watched Jazz win lately. And, and, and really, the responsibility of this team is, is those four guys. I, in my mind, I mean, I know Gobert and everybody has a role, but when Bogdanovich and Conley and Mitchell and Clarkson are going for 15 to 22 or 25, this team's going to be in every game. And they play, they play a really, really – I mean, you've got to make baskets. We know this team's unselfish. We know they have a great culture. We know they're going to be prepared defensively. But I I think the onus of this season comes down to those four guys consistently. And Bogdanovich has been a little bit inconsistent, you know. He'll have 28, and then then he'll have three. And so, you know, I think it's just – that's a critical piece for me. I I know they have all the pieces. They may not be the most talented team, but they – I've always talked about this with the Jazz. I think the sum of their parts is greater than their individual players. And I think with this team, uh, th- those guys really need to come every time they come out. Is, is They've got to make baskets. Because I know they're going to have a good defensive game plan. You know they're not going to have off-court issues, really. Uh, they, they don't have to deal with a lot of young players. They've got a pretty experienced group here. And so, you know, I, I like their place. And, I, and I, I think they've got a great chance to be a, be a team that is in, the, you know, the top four or five and, and – uh, have a home court advantage or whatever, that's probably not worth that much, except the fact you get to sleep in your own bed. and It's better than the bubble where you're away from family, away from home, at least here in this situation. You can be with family, friends, have normal sleep. Uh, I guess that's the benefits for playing at home with no fans.
0: Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, joining us. PK may have busted me a time or two for getting a little ahead of myself on some theory I got and wishing something into existence that isn't happening yet. Gobert seems to be playing at a different level. Maybe there's some type of controlled, I don't know if rage is the right word or something, but there's some kind of nuclear reactor in there that's powering him to another level here. But I'm wondering if it's sustainable. A guy that big playing that hard over the course of an NBA season, uh, that might be a bridge too far. I might be jumping the gun here. What do you think out of what you've seen out of him so far and how much he can sustain this?
4: Well, he – you know, I, and that is the question because he's played very well. I, I think a couple of things have happened. He came under so much scrutiny publicly, and not, not, and not so much from his own fan base, but for just from media and everybody, that through the whole COVID thing. And nobody can really appreciate – because guys are going to keep this stuff to themselves, but that, that's a hurtful thing. You know, I mean, when you're, pu- you're in the public eye and you have people saying things and doing things, it's one thing to get on public and say, hey, we're moving forward and his relationship with Donovan – that, that had to hurt inside and, uh, and he had to be questioning himself with all of the stuff that's out there about even what his role was going to be on this team. And, uh, and I, I, have no, uh, I don't have no privileges in terms of knowing what's happening on the inner circles of the Utah Jazz and what's happening with coaches and players. but I think they've done a nice job. And then with new management and new ownership, uh, I, I think that contract, was a really important statement by the Jazz that said, we have confidence in you, we want you here. I bet that during the course of the summer he wasn't sure he was wanted even by his teammates, let alone ownership and, uh, and a coaching staff. I mean, I think there's questions. We, we are all pretty sensitive to those things. And, and, and when you get in the public's eye and you see yourself on Twitter and all form, platforms of social media and it's mostly negative, that had to really impact his psyche even though they weren't playing games. And so when they have worked through this, he personally has had to work through it, maybe with coaches, with counseling, who knows what, but he got through it. And then for the Jazz to say, we want you, we want you to be a part of this, man, that had to give him a lot of confidence. And I think that he's committed. He knows now that this organization has committed him, because I think there were moments where where he wasn't sure. I mean, I'm speaking strictly – this is my own personal conjecture, but I'm thinking that there were times that he wanted if he was in the right place. I think he knows that now, and I think he's relaxed, and I think he's going to play his butt off and play hard every night, and there are going to be nights where he makes baskets and doesn't, but if he's got 15, 20 rebounds and plays with that kind of aggression. The coaches will have to manage those minutes and figure out what's best for him, but I think his mind is better than it's been in, probably in the last six, seven, eight months.
3: What's getting into Paul George, man? He looks like he is on a tear.
4: You know, there's an and it's a similar situation. You know, uh, I I had texted Paul a couple times, and I mean, he went through a lot of scrutiny in this whole bubble, and uh, and and it's hard. And and, you know, we kind of think these guys don't read that and don't. Come on, these guys—they're on every social media platform, and 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 really, if their agents and everybody and their parents and good friends—I mean, I I can remember. So, you're know, a good friend telling me, man, you cannot get online. You cannot get on the Internet. I, I, you, I, and don't do it. All, you know, you, there's a tendency you get on and you want to hear stuff. People say good things about you when you win. I just eliminated that in my life. And for whatever I, the goodness I might have felt when I was, uh, you know, winning games and having success, I didn't want to bear the negativity, even if it was, you know, somebody's opinion, some 13-year-old kid. It didn't matter. And Paul went under a lot of scrutiny. And, uh, you know, he, he was blamed for a lot of things, his leadership abilities, his, you know, his relationship with players. And I, I know this kid, man, I and mean, he is a great human being and a good leader. Hey, nobody's perfect, and nobody's going to play great all the time, but uh, I know that just like Rudy Gobert, Paul has something to prove. And it, it doesn't mean he's going to score 30 every night, but he, he's got a different mindset than they, he had a year ago, when they had Kawhi and the expectation was they beat the Lakers early, they're expected. Everybody felt in their hearts when it was all said and done, the Clippers were the best team. And it didn't prove to be that way. And, uh, and I don't think it's going to be any easier for them to beat whoever, the Lakers or whoever else is there. But I think Paul has a different mindset as well. And he, he just has to stay within himself and can't listen to and be impacted by all the outside noise.
0: Steve, as always, we appreciate the time. Fresno, there is a little town, 45 minutes west, that has produced an NFL quarterback. How big a deal is that?
4: That's huge, man. You ever been to Fireball?
0: I have not been to Fireball. I can tell you I have not. (laughs) <laughs> one high school 10 10 12, people something like that and josh allen yep. uh, i saw yep. stuff there's this nfl map thing it's a website i go to and it shows like the whole state of california is getting one game but the i think they're getting the steelers and the browns but fresno was getting the bills people were like what tweeting out why why is that seems so like josh allen dude
4: fireball <laughs> yeah, you know, and I don't know his whole story. I, I think he went. I think he went Juke before he went to Wyoming, he did. and he did. And I did. And obviously, I wasn't watching him play high school football, but I, I know his story. And I, I, the interesting thing is, of course, everybody knows the guy. Oh yeah, I know his uncle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a golf course, and we'll be talking about football or something. And I said, "Come on, man, you don't you don't know who he is? <laughs> no, really, I this dad was a farmer, you know. I. But those are close knit communities. They're blue-collar people, you know the, the Valley. I mean, they're farmers. They're people that work hard and get up early and, and work late and good values and never been given anything. And that kid's never been given anything, and he just fought through it. And you, How can you not just be happy for a guy like that when they come from those circumstances? I'm not saying he came from a bad home run. Right? Sure, he had a great family. I don't know anything about him. But that community, I've been in that community enough, and I know people there. remember even as a high school coach going into that community, uh, you know, it, it's small town America, man. And but they got good values, strong values, work, good work ethic, and those are all the things that he personifies as a player. Besides really being talented, so don't ever think that a guy can't go Juke. And I mean, Wyoming's not exactly a great football destination. Playing? Can you imagine? I mean, you you followed that league long enough, man. Playing football up there in Laramie, um, you know, one of my craziest memories. When I was coaching at BYU, there was no inside hotels. All doors were to the outside. So you had, <laughs> you had to go. You, know, you went to your room with an outside door like an old Motel 6. And uh, I have never been colder than I have <laughs> in my life. And, and in Indiana, it was pretty cold. But in Laramie, when the winds were blowing and you'd walk outside to get on a bus, man, it, it was so cold. And I'm thinking, he played football in that weather. So uh, he's not going to be a soft kid, and he, he's not going to be expected to be given anything. And he, his, uh, his approach to everything is going to be uh, pretty grounded. And so I'm, I'm happy to see him. He can't, we can't help but pull for the kid. And I don't know him, but he's, you know, God bless him, man. He's, he's, helped, uh, he's really done a great job there, and it's fun to watch him have success.
0: Yeah, he played his uh, JUCO ball at Reedley, so still Reedley, off the yeah, beaten, yeah, still off the about, beaten path. Yeah,
4: yeah, yeah. And it's, it's a half hour from here. They're in our conference, and, uh, and, and and it is. It was called Kings River for a while, and then it came back to Reedley. But uh, small little campus with probably, you know, fifteen hundred kids. Yeah. So and, and certainly not a football power.
0: All right. Well, Steve, we appreciate the time, and now Fresno's got a rooting interest big time in these playoffs with the Bills. Thanks a lot, Steve. Have a great week. Here's Steve Cleveland, our Basketball Insider. When we come back, all the headlines, what is trending, coming up.